A designer knows when he's achieved perfection, not when there's nothing left to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. And what that kind of means to me is that this is a reminder really that uh, often things get better as we simplify and uh, reduce rather than we add and make more complex. And Welcome along to the Asset Guardian podcast, where we explore the discipline of asset management throughout New Zealand and speak with industry leaders to learn more about the innovation and challenges in today's evolving world of technology, infrastructure and regulation. My name is Josh Pope, and I'll be your guide on this journey into the world of kaitiakirawa and asset management. Welcome along to the next episode of the Asset Guardian podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome uh, Dr. Paul Blackmore on the show today. I've known Paul for several years and I have valued the time uh, spent with him to learn from the master in asset management. Uh, Paul has spent many years in the uh, electrical sector and his previous roles include maintenance standards manager for Energex, associate director at AECOM, uh, manager of consulting services and director of consulting for EA Technology Australia, asset fleet manager at PowerCo and now principal consultant at his own business, Agila Solutions. Uh, Paul has a strong passion for improving the quality of asset management decision-making, and it's uh, an honour to have him on the show today. Kia ora, Paul. Welcome along. Yeah, g'day, Josh. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for being on the show today. So um, maybe just do, would you like to give a bit of a brief introduction to the audience about uh, sort of who you are and um, your current role and what's involved with that? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, the bio, my Sort of uh, asset management practitioner. I've been doing doing this sort of thing for a number of years. Um, uh, different roles. Uh, these days, um, I'm working uh, as a sole practitioner for my own practice, um, uh, Agila Solutions. Um, not really affiliated with any software companies or any big name uh, consulting firms. Um, and what I do these days is really look to assist um, uh, practicing asset managers um, in, in the electricity distribution and transmission sectors. Uh, mainly focusing on asset renewal maintenance, uh, you know, part of the asset life cycle. Nice, nice. So um, I've got you on the show today to talk a little bit about um, asset health and uh, risk modelling. Um, do you want to maybe elaborate on sort of how you got into that field of, of work? Yeah, that's that's um, kind of a little bit interesting. As you mentioned in the bio, I started, um, I was worked with a company called Energex, a electricity distributor in southeast Queensland. Um, some time ago, and uh, sort of back in the early 2000s, um, there was, uh, you know, some significant asset-related problems there, um, um, you know, with a big step change in demand from uh, recycled air conditioners and a uh, number of sort of quite public um, failures of infrastructure associated with uh, that sector. Uh, so that resulted in a big step change of uh, step change increase in uh, expenditure. And uh, while I was there, I was a junior engineer and um, um, Energex employed a consulting firm called EA Technology to um, do some asset health and risk modelling and uh, a kind of uh, working with the consultants from them, namely uh, Dr David Hughes from um, EA Technology and uh, I kind of got the got the taste for it um, and, and was to develop an interest there. Um, that was um, quite an interesting time um, where that asset health and risk modelling uh, products, EA Technologies products, CBRM, um, allowed Energex at the time to um, justify a really large step increase in uh, their asset renewal expenditure. And uh, they kind of, I think, lit the fire and set up a bit of a boom in, in the uh, asset health and risk uh, modelling and um, using that kind of approach in, in the 
distribution sector. So on the back of that growth and demand, I um, jumped into EA technology and uh, sort of uh, worked, worked in a lot in Australia and travelled the world and um, doing that sort of stuff. Nice, yeah, and that's uh, sort of the beginnings of um, our relationship, I suppose, as well, and, and how we how we know each other and um, having worked well, you know, uh, with you uh, on the CBRE modelling and things like that in the past in the energy sector. Um, you know, it's it's been valuable to learn from your experience and then also see the benefits that's been able to deliver to uh, you know the organisation that uh, I was working for at the time as well. Yeah, no, um, thanks, Josh. <laughs> so I'd just like to try and uh, introduce the personal side of uh, my guests to the audience before we get too far into the uh, heavy lifting side of things. So uh, if, the, um, if you were doing your current role, is there any other passions or um, you know, interests that you might have followed? Well, um, yes, uh, I guess I guess I'm quite passionate about aviation and um, I'm a private pilot and um, I've uh, a little bit of a hobby of building airplanes, so I'm on my second airplane. Um, it's sort of a kit set um, vans RB8 aircraft. So, um, yeah, if I uh, wasn't uh, doing this stuff, I'd be um, in a workshop uh, tinkering and building airplanes, is what I'd like to do. And that kind of is what I do in my spare time. Nice, that's very cool. Well, how, how big are these planes? Are these passenger planes? Yeah, yeah it's a two, two seat um, high performance, um, you know, sport aircraft, as I'm building now. Um, yeah, it's a very, very popular and common hobby, actually. Very cool, very cool. Uh, another question I'd like to ask my guests is, uh, what did you want to be uh, as a kid when you grew up? I, I guess um, that kind of fluctuated um, between um, probably uh, scientist, um, pilot, uh, astronaut, really. And that, I guess that kind of astronaut thing probably shows the era I grew up in. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess I kind of always had that technology bent uh, to me, and, um, and and I guess um, I guess uh, you know, when you get later in life, you sometimes reflect back on the things that interested you during your kid, and you say, well, better get into it before it's too late. So, uh, it's the uh, interest in aviation right now. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important. Actually, <laughs> it's uh, quite funny that you mentioned that. It's um, I think as kids, you know, we have this creative mindset, and uh, somewhere in adult life, it can sometimes get <laughs> stripped out of you a wee bit, whether it's, uh, I don't know, through schooling or, or, or just general society. So um, yeah, incredibly important to keep that creative mindset, I think, and yeah. Um, to, for for the, those those people out there who, who may or may not be sort of familiar with asset health or asset risk or asset condition, um, do you maybe want to sort of start from the beginning and um, you know explain sort of asset health 101 oh sure sure josh i guess um so asset health is is kind of is a term that it refers to to essentially um where an asset is in its life cycle it's kind of intended to be a sort of a single parameter that represents um you know the many factors which kind of which relate to an asset's purpose for service so it can be um, the condition, it can be uh, its design attributes, it can be a whole raft of things, essentially compressed down into a single uh, single uh, number or single um, attribute, which um, which we can use to um, you know, judge where it is in its life cycle and what it's, uh, you know, how, how close it is and whether it needs some attention or um, renewal. Um, I guess uh, risk, um, uh, asset health, um, 
uh, we, we often use that as a, a proxy for you know, how likely an asset is to fail. Um, so it's sort of some relationship between uh, you know, its condition, its health, and, and its uh, likelihood of failing. Um, and when we combine that with uh, the context of the asset, consequences of failure, um, put those two things together, and we can have a, a measure uh, of, of asset-related risk. So that, that's the kind of the, the very basic idea there. That's actually a really great summary of some. <laughs> I get, this is not your first rodeo. <laughs> As uh, I think it's a saying, uh, I think by Einstein or, or something like that, you know, being able to explain something simply, you know, really shows that how, how well you understand something. And if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it enough, you know, so that is perfectly put. So for businesses then, how can understanding asset related risk help, um, you know, improve sort of safety or um, even a healthy ROI for organisations? Yeah, I guess um, thinking about risk, when we're talking about assets and their life cycle um, and primarily um, renewal decisions, sort of end of life decisions, um, uh, thinking in terms of risk um, just moves, starts to move us away from perhaps more older style approaches, you know, the oldest um, that would might be you know, replacing on, on age. Um, you know, simply replacing something at a, at a certain age, or, you know, it's not really, it hasn't really ever been a real thing, but age is one the most simplest idea. Um, and moving on to condition, um, and then moving on to risk. But if we think about um, about at multiple assets um, with, a, say, the same condition, same physical uh, state, um, each of them might have a different consequences of consequence of failure. So by thinking about risk, um, we're able to put resources into uh, those assets that can have the biggest impact on things that are important to the business. So, you know, that might be the, the, the cost of failures, um, potential breaches and service levels, um, environmental issues and impacts. Um, and of course, the most important one is uh, safety to um, public and, um, you know, people working on the assets. So just risk is just a way to focus in uh, the resources and expenditure um, where it can provide the most, most benefit really. Yeah, nice. So with, um, you know, I'll go, I'll go off on a wee bit of a tangent here. So just thinking with some of your experience and being involved, I suppose, in the early days of the, you know, um, the asset health and risk modelling space, what are some of the changes you've seen across, um, whether it's one industry or different industries, uh, you know, from sort of beginning to now, and then what does the future look like in that space? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I kind of started, you know, back in the early 2000s with the A technology, um, I guess, uh, delivering the sort of flagship product, um, interface risk management. Uh, I guess one of the things we've seen over those, over that length of time, which is, you know, 12, 15 years now, um, is it, it, it went from a very bespoke, um, you know, individualised um, sort of solution for each, each uh, model we built was you know, very tailored to each organization's needs. Um, these days we've seen that um, evolve into a, a much more standardized format. So um, standardized in terms of um, the, you know, a, a methodology called the Common Network Asset Indices Methodology um, published by Ofgen. That's one change. Um, the sort of methodologies mature and uh, come of age become more standardized and embedded. Um, I guess I've also seen a need you know, and, and, and I guess help to develop and, and plan a need for something a bit more simpler than that. Um, 
those those, those more complicated methodologies and um, developing uh, qualitative uh, health indicators as well, which are uh, a little bit easier to apply and um, a little bit easier to um, to use. So, um, so that's I guess another uh, possible another trend in in this. But I, I would say it's gone really from a sort of a, a sort of a niche um, capability that was had a purpose of um, you know, negotiating with a regulator to now very much a mainstream um, core competency of asset management. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. In my short experience um, in the asset management space, you know, I and being able to work with, uh, you know, people who have been around the industry for a while, it's certainly something I've picked up on, whether it's um, just through learning experience of of them and the way things used to be done to how they're done now, and even you know, say in the last five years, the difference between uh, the focus that regulators have put on asset management or the likes of boards have put onto asset management and um, them gaining more maturity and understanding the value it can bring to a business, as well as a lot of the uh, competing drivers in that asset management space now as well, and also um, uh, organisations' maturity in terms of their data level relating back to asset health and asset risk. So a lot of the decisions now are needing to be a lot more data driven. So there's uh, more focus on that data collection side of things as well, right? Yes, yeah, I think that's a fair point in that as, as this uh... You, you know, there's these kind of approaches have become um, mainstream. There's almost like, um, you know, board, board level um, governance are sort of expecting to see uh, decisions justified using these methods. And, and likewise, the regulator, um, Commerce Commission here in New Zealand, certainly signaling that they're expecting to see, um, you know, the industry um, you do more in this area. So, yeah, definitely getting a pull through from the, um, you know, from the regulators and, and governance. Yeah, and it can be quite hard, I think, if you are in um, that position uh, within a business where all of a sudden, um, you know, it might feel like overnight this has just become a common trend where boards and senior managers and uh, regulators are asking for this as if it is common practice. However, the organisation may have just done things or um, you know, a certain way for a very long period of time. And it seems like such a big shift to get from, you know, where you are now to that level of expectation. You know, is, do, do you have any advice for um, businesses and, and sort of what the best way to make a start is or for determining asset health, asset risk? Yeah, I think um, really the, the place to start start with is really be very clear on on, on what's needed and, and why you, you're doing it. And that's kind of the first question to ask yourself. So, um, you know, what's the purpose? Is it is it for, for, for you know, planning your work? Is it for uh, presenting the case, um, you know, for um, expenditure? Um, you know, what are you trying to achieve? Um, but the next one really is to have an honest assessment of of, of your maturity um, and, and what, you know, where you are and what what, what capabilities you you have, and a lot of times that's going to come down to the um, the available data. Really, um, you know, um, you know, do you have the, the required uh, data that can support um, health, this health and risk type modelling? And um, and depending on what, what's existing there, can sort of shape the way way you go. So, for example, um, you know, to do a lot of these modelling, you you, you do. You, although I like to think of it. You, you sort of think about the data and um, 
as I sort of call it, the four seeds. Um, so what do you have? Do you have um, asset characteristics? Do you know um, the, the assets in terms of when they're installed, uh, what make and model they are, what materials, um, what sort of design, um, yeah, designs they are, so poles, do you know the, the species, the material, the, the, the treatments? Um, so do you know the, the characteristics? And that would be a, be a starting point. Uh, the next thing we need to know is the context that, that, that the assets are in. So do you know, um, you know the consequences of failure, how many um, customers might be affected, the safety hazard, you know, the safety environment that, that assets and um, so forth. So do you know its context? Then, then you need to ask, do you know its condition? So what information do we have on its physical physical condition right now? Um, and, and you know, do we have condition assessments? Do we have maintenance history? Um, and um, you know, think about that. Um, and finally, um, what do you know about the costs associated with it? Um, its operating costs, its maintenance costs, uh, replacement costs, um, and also the failure costs. Um, so those those four things ranging from um, the basics. You know, do you know? What your assets are? Do you know where they are? Um, do you know, um, you know how they are? What condition? They're in? And then finally, do you know, uh, you know what's it worth? Um, essentially, um, those things you sort of can add and build up to be um, build up to make very simple models at the beginning. That the first the first stage is can produce age based models uh, through to when you have the final level, we get cost information, and you can start to build quite sophisticated. Um, um, monetized um, yeah, models of basic health and risk. Yeah, and as you say, each one of those uh, four pillars is sort of dependent on each other, right? To have a holistic overview of your asset portfolio, you need each one of those pillars in place, right? You could, you could, you know, as you say, you can iterate through it and 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 perhaps build on each one of those as a layer, but to get that overall picture and probably meet that level of expectation from a lot of you know boards senior managers and stuff you would need each one of those in place right yeah yes yeah fundamentally you you, you need to build one on top of, of the other and um and it's sort of the the, the go importance you know the first um yeah you know, understanding asset characteristics is the most important you can't do anything if you don't know what you've got um and that's kind of the easiest um and then you get to, to the last one the actually understanding life cycle costs is probably Probably the hardest one because it's sometimes difficult to accurately link um, costs back to individual assets and asset types. Um, you know, through the um, you know the, the financial accounting processes most um, most businesses um, are using. Yeah, and there's uh, can be uh, you know costs is always a interesting one, right? Because there's a lot of external factors that can affect that. So you, you know, you, there is a degree of assumptions that you have you know you put into that as well and, and um, contingency sort of built into to you know put to, to um, plan for whatever yeah that's great and i will say that through all those four levels there are tricks that you can play to um sort of backfill and um, overcome some some data deficiency so you um and obviously when you make assumptions and use tricks and techniques to overcome data problems you you just add uncertainty to, to your decisions but it doesn't necessarily need to stop you from moving forward and, and trying to make better decisions than you would have made if you sort of um, threw your hands in there and gave up yeah that's one of the uh the best and worst parts of the asset management space i think i've found is the the um 
you know, as someone who, who sort of likes uh, clear cut answers, the answer is not always clear cut in asset management, right? You do have to use, there is an element of judgment or an element of uncertainty to a lot of the decisions you can make. And you can really only make the best decisions with the information you have at the time. You know, if someone who's, um, I like to think of myself as a bit of a high performer and, and always, you know, I'm quite hard on myself. I could have always done that better or that could have been, could have, could have been better. You know, when it comes to the decision making side of things, if, if information isn't available, it, it's, you know, it, it hurts me <laughs> to, to, to know that I could have done it better, but it's also I couldn't have because the information's not available. But, um, you yeah, know, I think having, those expectations on yourself as well is, is quite important too. But um, I, I have seen it as well where it can be limiting, you know, it's um, by not having the information that almost acts as a barrier to to make the call itself, um, which, you know, can be detrimental to uh, the outcomes you're trying to achieve for, for asset yeah. management, right? I, I think I think that's actually another, that's an interesting topic in itself is, is yeah, how can you, um, yeah, in the in, in face with uncertainty and face with sparse data, for example, you know how can you generate um, useful estimates? How can you uh, how can you sort of capture um, some experience of if we're going subject matter ex experts? Can you you know get the failure rates by going and talking to um, field people and and sort of having a chat with them and um, you know question them in a, in a, in a certain way to um, Grab their knowledge, but also test its validity and sort of calibrate it against reality. So, um, so I think it's one of the fun parts of, of this is is trying to overcome those those issues and and um, we'll still move forward. Absolutely. Is there any um, trends that you're starting to notice? Say whether it's with um, organisations or whether it's with regulators about what the future expectations are going to look like in this space? Or is it uh, sort of, you know, and this could be from overseas or it could be for New Zealand. I think in New Zealand we sort of have this um, mentality that we kind of lag behind the likes of maybe Australia and the UK and the States and things like that. But um, are there any trends you're seeing sort of within New Zealand? Um, I guess, yes, in New Zealand, um, I'm just, I'm seeing um, more and more, um, I'm working primarily with um, smaller EDDs these days. Um, and I think more and more of them are wanting to to get the basics in place, uh, get um, yeah, get uh, health and risk um, rep uh, asset representations um, yeah, into their asset management plans, into their um, regular forecasts. So, um, so I think it's really uh, the trend I'm seeing, um, and I'm not um, sort of party to the international scene so much these days, but I'm just seeing um, you know, companies just moving up the maturity ladder. Um, and uh, and um, starting to make this a BAU uh, area. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I, where I'm working at the moment. Yeah, and and that's that's good for New Zealand as a whole, right? Because I think I've said this before in a previous uh, episode that you know at the end of the day we are all customers of um, something or some business that is has an asset management function. You know whether that's um, we, we pay rates to the council, you know, who manage assets and uh, by them doing a better job sort of should impact the, you know, the cost effect on us and, and you know, same in the power industry, right, uh, by us being able to do a better job there, you know, sort of um, resulting savings should be sort of passed through to the end customer at the end of the day too. So it's good to hear that it's what you're starting to see is, is this integration to, to BAU for a lot of these businesses throughout New Zealand. 
Um, do you have a favourite uh, quote or saying uh, you'd like to share with the audience? I'd like to try and get our guests to inspire the audience somehow. So. Oh, okay. okay. I guess, um, you know, I guess, uh, let's see. Um, I, I guess one of the quotes I, um, I kind of uh, keep going back to is, is, is comes from um, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, which is a sort of... Um, an old famous author, an aviator as well, who, who wrote the book with the Little Prince. But one of his ones is um, a designer knows when he's achieved perfection, not when there's nothing left to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. And what that kind of means to me, and is that this is a reminder really that uh, often things get better as we simplify and uh, reduce rather than we add and make more complex. And um, that applies to oftentimes to some of these analysis things we're doing, um, you know, overcomplicating things can make our life difficult, but it, it applies to business processes, it applies to, you know, writing, it applies to a lot, lots of things in life. So I, I like that one as a, just a reminder to um, keep it simple. Yeah, I absolutely love that. That's, uh, I'm a huge advocate for, uh, you know, keeping things simple and, so, uh, you know, it's, it's my belief often um, a lot of these complex problems are solved with relatively simple solutions. However, the art is trying to make those solutions simple, if that makes sense. So <laughs> they, yeah. they can be complex, but uh, the, often once you get to the end product, you go, oh, that was obvious, you know, but getting to that point is, can be quite a journey and can be quite a complex journey. But the res the, the product at the end of the day is the simple answer for the. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that can sometimes a little bit of that maturity as well. I know that earlier in my career, I loved making things complicated and uh, it probably caused problems uh, along the way. So um, this is something, yeah, you know, reflecting of, um, yeah, I learned over the years of doing this stuff. Oh, that's great. Hey, um, one final thing. If uh, is there any advice you would give to uh, future asset management professionals or or asset management professionals uh, in the space at the moment? You know, um, sort of for the future or or any bits of advice? Yeah, yeah sure. If, if I if I was um, you know um, sort of mentoring, if you like, or, or talking to um, someone um, early earlier career. Um, uh, it would be about, you know, this is probably comes from some of the things I'm observing is that, you know, fundament, fundamentals and foundational things actually matter a lot. Um, so in asset management, um, you know, that comes down to some of those perhaps uh, less attractive and somewhat boring things like, you know, getting asset data in place, you know, having the capabilities to uh, schedule and plan maintenance and be sure that it's done and be able to control that. Um, Good record keeping on on, on maintenance, um, having good condition data, um, you know, being able to track work orders in the business, and you know, and know that things are done and what's done and what's not done. So, I I like I I think those fundamentals are really important, and I think it's important to be above the line on those things, um, you know, before it too too um, drag down the path of really uh, fancy and. Um, stuff so um, because without without the fundamentals um the, the more the more uh, high tech and fancy the things um you run the risk of um of those uh, not delivering the, the results that you really really want to get from them so that's that's um, my my little bit of advice if it's what it's worth no that's fantastic yeah i couldn't agree more having that um uh, you know strong foundation gives you something to 
build off of and those found that you know those fundamentals are exactly what makes up that foundation so i think you know getting good at those and uh, you know it's it's not just um in the asset management space there's probably advice for life right is uh you know focusing on the fundamentals of any you know process um will, will benefit you in the long run because often it's, it's amazing how often you will return back to those fundamentals you know so yes yes well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Paul. Uh, I really appreciate having you on and appreciate you sh- uh, taking the time to share your insights and knowledge and experience with everybody. And um, yeah, look forward to carrying on our conversations and working with you again in the future. Oh, you're nice welcome, Josh. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. See you.